James, we thank you so much for your hospitality, the good food, the good fellowship, the everything that's, that's going on around here this week. John and I are just uh, enjoying ourselves tremendously, and uh, always love coming here to Somerville. That's right. Every year, and of course, after this week, we'll... Uh, uh, go home for a few days and then uh, out again, and uh, we've had a very busy, busy summer lined up, but there's no better place to start it than right here, is it? And we're just going to worship the Lord. The book of James chapter 1, if you stand with us for prayer and remain standing for the reading of a couple of verses of Scripture, we'll get right into this message tonight and uh, let the Lord touch us in a grand way. Father, we thank you again. For everything that you have done, for what you are doing in our hearts and in our lives, I do believe, God, that already in this meeting, lives have been touched, circumstances, situations have been changed, attitudes have been changed as you've touched our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. We ask you, God, to continue to do so tonight. As we enter into the Word of God, speak to every heart, every life. Help your servant tonight, Lord, to say exactly what you'd have to be said, your people to hear, to receive the Word of God. For everything that's done and accomplished, we give you the praise and the glory. For it's all about you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the first chapter of the epistle of James, James wrote these words. I want you to listen carefully. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You may be seated. Powerful, powerful words in those two verses here tonight, and we're going to take you to some other places in the Word of God, and we're going to build on this thought as we talk to you tonight on the subject of the dangers of misguided emotions, the dangers of misguided emotions. The great apostle James here wrote and said to us, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We understand what he's talking about here. In so many words, James is saying that it is to our benefit to learn to control ourselves in every situation, to control our emotions, to control our response, to control our actions, no matter what comes. All of us tonight, all of us, excluding no one, could stand and tell of the time that when we mishandled the situation, we made it all worse. Can you say amen? By our mishandling. All of us can look back in our lives at those times that we wish we had have done differently. We wish we'd have exercised just a little more self-control than the situation. Oh, some of you are nodding your head. You agree? I certainly can. But you know, there's one thing about life. Life doesn't have a reverse. You can't back up. You can't go back to yesterday or last week or last month or last year or 50 years ago for that matter. But there's one thing about our past. We cannot go back and repeat the past, but we can learn from it. And we can learn the lessons from those times in our past and, to, and purpose in our hearts that having learned our lesson, we'll be a different person now. It's very, very, very important to learn the dangers of misguided emotions. The Word of God has much to say about that. And uh, we're going to say a lot about it tonight. Solomon, that wise man, uh, the wisest of all men, perhaps, beside our Christ, he learned from some things that got a hold of him. Even in Solomon's wisdom, 
He allowed emotions to get away from him. And those out-of-control emotions took him away from God. They took him away from a right relationship with the Lord. The emotions that Solomon dealt with were the emotions of the flesh that that dealt with relationships between, uh, you know, man and woman and all of those things that got a hold of him and caused him so much anguish that near the end of his life, Solomon said, said these words, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. In other words, she said there's not a lot of good in these things that have happened. But Solomon gave us a lot of advice. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 18, Solomon said a wrathful man or an angry man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Solomon again tells us in Proverbs 16 and 32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. In other words, Solomon said, a man that is not easy to lose his temper is better than a strong man. Better than a man that is mighty is a man that can control his emotions. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit is better than he that taketh a city. Or in other words, Solomon is saying, the conqueror that conquers through anger does not enjoy the benefits of his spoil as much as the man that has been able to rule his own spirit. Solomon goes on in Proverbs 25 and 28 to say, he that hath no rule over his own spirit It's like a city that is broken down and without walls. This is powerful. This is powerful, and it's a message for some of us tonight. If you'd hear closely the words of the wise man, he that hath no rule over his own spirit. Or in other words, that individual that acts on an impulse, that individual, ladies and gentlemen, that that acts without thinking, without counting the cost, without stopping the reason, what's this going to cost me? That man is like a city whose wall is broken down. That city that has no protection at all. I challenge you this night to look back on your own life and see the times that the enemy has been able to come in, into the home, into the family, into the church, into the heart, because we acted on an impulse without taking time to control our emotions. We are people of emotions. There's nobody in this house tonight that's not emotional. If you take away our emotion, then we just become a stick. We just become something that's lifeless. But emotions are not bad. Emotions in themselves are not bad. Emotions, love and hate and fear and all of the emotions that we feel, they're okay. They're good for us if they are kept under control. Oh, you'd say, well, preacher, I don't understand what you're saying. I I, I heard of a lady once. She told told the great man of God, that great preacher of bygone days, she told him, uh, Billy Sunday, she said, uh, Brother Sunday, I don't have any trouble with my emotions. I just blow up and then it's all over. I don't have any problem. I just get angry. I get upset. I just explode, and then I'm over it. Billy Sunder looked at her and said, you're just like a shotgun, and you do as much damage as a shotgun when you just blow up, and then it's all over. Emotions are good when they're controlled. We'll get there. You'll see that tonight, and it's to our benefit to learn that control. You say, preacher, what is emotions? Emotion is that, ladies and gentlemen, that causes us to respond. Love is a powerful emotion, and love will bring a response. If it's 
governed right and it's governed by true love, then it will bring life and it'll bring joy and it'll be bring happiness. Desire for something, some things is a very wonderful emotion. I must say this, ladies and gentlemen, that desire and, and a feeling, a man for a woman, it's that that produces a family. It's that that produces children. It's that that produces the most beautiful things in all of the world. But when that emotion gets out of control, it can tear up more in one night than you can fix in a lifetime. Say amen. Oh, God. Some of you, I want to say that again. I said that emotion that causes a man and a woman to feel what they feel. And I, I won't get too deep into that. That's a beautiful emotion. And kept under control and in order, it produces the family. It produces children. It produces a life that brings more joy than anything else in the world. But let it get out of control and it brings about more damage, more heartache, more sorrow, and more tears in one night than you can fix in a lifetime. So it's not the fact of the emotion. It's the, uh, uh, the inability or the lack of control. That emotion out of control, it's when we instinctively respond to circumstances or events. Amen. Without taking time to think about or regard that that it's going to bring to pass. You know, I, I think I've explained this a little better maybe uh, talk about a, you know uh, a real life situation where we can go out on the ball field the little league you know uh, and uh, the little fellows are out there playing ball and uh, I heard once of the uh, the ball team little league you know they're out there playing and the coach called one of his little boys little players aside and he said son do you understand the meaning of cooperation and he said, yes, sir, I do. He said, do you understand the meaning of team and teamwork? And he said, yes, sir, I do. He said, do you understand it's not about you? It's not about whether you, uh, you know, uh, hit the home run or you uh, steal second. It's not about you, son. It's about the team. It's about doing what's necessary for the team to win. He said, yes, sir, I understand that. He said, son, do you understand that when you're standing there at home plate with the bat and the umpire calls strike three and you're out that you don't beat the ground and, and you don't have a temper tantrum and a fit. You just go sit down in the dugout. Do you he said, yes, sir, I understand that. He said, do you understand when you're running to first base uh, and the throw gets there ahead of you and the umpire says, you're out, that you just walk away and uh, go sit down. You don't stomp and cuss and call the umpire bad names and throw your hat down and, you know, just uh, act so crazy. He said, yes, sir, I understand that. He said, you understand all of this? He said, I do. He said, would you please go explain it to your mama? Emotions out of control. We look in the Word of God and we find many examples of emotions out of control. The first murder was committed by a man that allowed his emotions to get out of control. The very first murder. When Cain allowed his emotions to get out of control and killed his brother Abel, Saul, Saul was so angry with David until he would have killed the man that God had anointed to take his place because of out-of-control emotions. There was a young man, story of a young man in our Bible that actually raped, defiled his own sister because he was unable to control his emotions. Young man by the name of Amnon, the son of David, 
had a sister by the name of Tamar, actually a half-sister, same father, different mothers. And you'll have to read that story sometime of how that his emotions got so out of control and that he tricked his own sister into putting herself into a situation that he could literally defile her and rape her because of out-of-control emotions. Amnon not only caused his sister to suffer intense pain, but Amnon, is, is, is all, his own self, lost his own life at the hand of Tamar's brother Absalom because of emotions that got out of control. A man by the name of Judas Iscariot took his own life, hanged himself, and went into an eternity because his love for money got out of control and he sold his Savior for 30 pieces of silver. Emotions out of control are the most dangerous things in the world. But the ability to control ourselves brings much joy. It brings peace. It brings contentment. It brings happiness. I want to take you tonight, now that we've just kind of set it up, I want to take you to a story in your Bible in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. You turn there if you like, or I'm going to tell it to you and read some of it to you. And I'm going to show you how that folks almost lost everything because in an emotional moment, they almost destroyed their very lives and their very existence. The story takes place at a time when David is running from Saul. David, as you well know, was anointed by Samuel to be king in Saul's stead. Saul had failed God. Saul had turned and disobeyed God. God had sent Samuel down to Jesse's house and said, you're going to anoint a king out of Jesse's sons. It was there that those big, fine, handsome sons of Jesse passed in front of Samuel and God said, no, no, none of these. And he said, do you have another son? He said, there's one, the youngest, David, but he's watching the sheep. And in, in other words, uh, uh, Jesse was saying to Samuel, he's not king material. I didn't even bother to ask him to come. But God takes that that man does not think much of and uses it to the glory of God. David came in. You know the story. God said to Samuel, this is the man. Poured that horn of oil on David's head and he's now anointed to be king. But it's a long, hard journey from that day when he was first anointed to the day that he finally set down on the throne and began to rule. Let me say to you tonight, young people, just because, just because it doesn't happen today or tomorrow or next week doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Sometimes the space of time between the call and the fulfillment is long, and sometimes it's hard. In my lifetime, I've enjoyed, you know, I like to hike. I I like to go see things that you can't reach by car. I like to go to places that the only way to get there is you have to walk. But you know what I've come to know? That the most beautiful places in the world are the hardest places to get to. Woo, say man. The most beautiful places in the world are the hardest places to get to. I remember once several years ago, I took a young preacher fishing. Amen. 
young preacher called of God to preach and, and I carried him fishing one night we were fishing that night we were there on a creek bank and uh, and this young fella you know uh, we're there to have a good time but he got awful quiet got awful quiet wasn't saying very much at all and then after a while brother Andy he looked over there at me and uh, there on that creek bank waiting for that fish to bite and, and just some relaxation and he looked at me and he said you know you've got it made I said what'd you say he said you've got it made well I, all of a sudden I don't care if the fish bite or not he done stirred me up I said just exactly what do you mean by that statement he said well You've got a good church. At that time, he was pastoring a little small church struggling. He said, you have a good church. You have revivals all over the country. You travel all the time. So many places to go. So many places to preach. You've got it made. I sat up on that creek bank. I looked at him. I said, yes, son, I've got it made. God has been good to me. God has blessed me. And I do have a church, and I do have more meetings than I can preach. I'll, I'll admit it, I, I, I have. But I said, I want to tell you something, boy. It hadn't always been this way. I said, it hadn't always been this way. I've been right where you are. I've been in that little bit of church paying me eight, ten, twelve dollars a week. I've been right where you are. But I said to that young fellow that night, I said, son, if you'll be faithful and if you'll be true, one of these days you'll find out that God is faithful and that God is true. David had to learn that lesson. But in our story tonight, David is running. He's running from his life. He's being hunted like an animal. Saul is on his trail like a vicious dog, ready to take his life. Saul has vowed to kill him. Saul has vowed to destroy him. And David is running for his very, very life. But I want to tell you something about David as he was running from Saul. David had more than one opportunity to take Saul's life. That was my God, there was more. God said put somebody here tonight. There was more than one opportunity when Saul came and lay down in the mouth of a cave and he didn't know that David was deeper in that cave and he went to sleep and David walked out and there lay his enemy sound asleep. David's man said, David, I'll smite him one time. I'll put this spear in him one time. I'll put that spear through him, drive it into the ground. I'll pierce that heart with one stroke and he'll never know what happened. But David was a man. Oh, are you listening to me? You say, oh yes, David was an emotional man. There's only one reason David's in that cave. He's afraid of Saul. There's only one reason that he's hiding there. He's afraid of that man and he's afraid of that man's army. Yes fear is a powerful emotion and David was touched by that emotion but ladies and gentlemen David had those emotions under control and he looked at that man and he said no we can't touch God's anointed. One moment and it had all been over for David. Yes, Saul would have died. The hunt would have been over. But David would have lost his anointing before it ever kicked in. Are you listening to me? But it goes on and finally, finally David goes down into the land of the Philistines. And he tells Achish, a Philistine leader, a king, the situation that he's in. How that there's a man with an army after him. 
And Achish says to David, you can stay in my country. There's a little town, little community over here by the name of Ziklag. I'm going to give that to you, David. And that can be your home and you can live and stay there and be safe from Saul. David took up a boat in Ziklag, he and his family and his army. By this time, David had raised an army. If I could take you back to the 22nd chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, we get a description of the men that came to David, 400 of them. Verse 1, David therefore departed thence, escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down to him. Listen to verse 2. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. I want you to understand this, this thought till we get down to the, uh, the part of this message that's going to touch your heart. David's got an army of 400 men, 400 men that ought to be in jail, 400 men that ought to be in prison, 400 men that were running from the law, 400 men that could not pay their debt. The writer here of 1 Samuel, listen, said that they were in distress. They were in debt. They were discontented. And Brother Andy, they were misfits of the community. From Jerusalem, from Judah, from, from Hebron, from all over the land, the men that could not fit in the society, men that were outcasts, men that were vagabond, men that were hated, men that were despised, men whose picture was on the, po the, the, uh, the post office wall. They went to David because they felt like they could find safety and they could find security with David. Saul had the good boys. Saul had the good army. Now David's got a bunch of thieves and robbers and discontents, misfits, 400 of them. Well, there came a day when the Philistines went out to war against Saul. And David told Achish, he said, me and my 400 misfits, We'll go with you to help you fight against Saul. Well, we won't take time to get into every detail, but he was not allowed to go because other leaders of the Philistines says he'll turn against us. But they went away from their little town called Ziklag. Hear me closely. When they came home, when they came home, on their way home, I think the first thing that let them know something was wrong Way off in the distance, they saw smoke rising toward the clouds. They got a little closer, and the smell of burning buildings, the smell of burning uh, hay, whatever, began to touch their nostrils. They asked themselves a question. Something's on fire. Wonder what it is. The closer they came, the more it looked to them like it was zigzag. It was their own home. And when they topped that last hill, rounded that last curve, they found that their little city of Ziklag had been burned and there was nothing but ashes. No children ran out to meet them. No wives came out to meet their husbands, to welcome them home from the battle because there were no children. There were no wives. No blading of the oxen. No lowing of the, of the oxen or blading of the sheep greeted them home for there were no oxen and there were no sheep because while they were away going toward that battle, the children of Amalek had come, burned their city, took all of their animals, took their wives, and all of their children 
and left him with nothing but a pile of ashes. Ladies and gentlemen, they had an emotional moment. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there when all you had left was a pile of ashes? Have you ever been there when everything was gone? Everything was stolen? Everything's turned against you? It's time for an emotional meltdown. You know what I'm talking about, right? An emotional meltdown. That's where David's men were. We get to that story in the 30th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. I want you to listen to me. These men are the point of an emotional meltdown. Their whole world is gone. Everything's gone. Everything's upside down. I'm talking to somebody tonight. You're at the point of an emotional meltdown. Hear me well. It's going to get better. When we get to that point of an emotional meltdown, what do we do? What do we do at an hour like this, Brother Andy? I just read a little bit on the iPad about one of those entertainers having a meltdown. She lost her job, and it's, it's Michelle Obama's fault, and it's her sleeping pill's fault, and it's at the point of an emotional meltdown, it's hard to control those emotions. We're blinded by emotions. We become deaf and can't hear by emotions. We become paralyzed by emotions. But at a time of an emotional meltdown, we look for a cause, and we look for something or someone to take our frustrations out on. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. It's his fault. Listen carefully to what the scripture said. When David and his men, now you know who these men are. There are, there are men that came to David to keep him out of jail. There are men that came to David to keep him out of the debtor's prison. There are men that came to David because David is their only hope. And now they come to Ziklag. The wives, the children, and everything's gone. And in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of the people grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David encouraged himself. In other words, listen, they're at an emotional meltdown, and the consensus was, Let's kill David. I want you to stop with me for just a moment, and we're going on. We're going on. At the point of your emotional meltdown, be careful who or what you want to kill. I can tell you something. God's talking to somebody. Somebody's at that point, you be careful what you kill. You be careful what it is that you want to destroy just because you're there at a point of an emotional breakdown. Kill David. What do you think we ought to do? Kill David. What do you think we ought to Kill David. Have they forgotten that without David, they would be back in Jerusalem. Without David, they would be in a debtor's prison. 
without David, they would be hunted by, by the, the law. My God, can somebody say amen? But at a point of an emotional breakdown, they forget who their Savior is. They forget who their comforter is. They forget who it is in whose hands they have placed their lives. We could go a lot of different directions right here. But we're going to go the direction that the Holy Ghost wants us to go. You know who you are. You are that debtor. You are that sinner. You are that lawbreaker. You are that man, that woman, that hell was out to destroy. But one day you heard about a man called Jesus Christ. You heard about a man in the wilderness. My God, can I preach a little? Hey, man, you were lost. You were without God. Your record was tarnished. You had committed sin. You had committed evil. Somebody had committed crime. And you knew that you were in trouble and that hell was going to be your but you heard about a man in the wilderness by the name of Jesus Christ and you said if I can get to that Jesus he will save me he will protect me he will keep me he won't let the devil take me to hell if I can just get to Christ if I can just get to where we are these men word brother Kevin passed from man to man said there's a man in the cave of Adullam if we can just get to him he will save us he will save us you know where you'd be tonight if you hadn't come to Christ I've got a word for these men. You want to kill David. But before you kill David, you must stop and think, where would you be right now if it was not for David? God's among us. Brother Andy, before you kill David, just stop and think where you would have been right now had it not been for David. Emotions out of control. You're thinking, you're thinking like a crazy man. You're talking like a fool. You're going to kill David? What's going to happen to you if David dies? What's going to happen to you if you kill? Now, let's, let's apply this. Brother, I am that discontent. I am that debtor. I am that sinner. You are that sinner. Richard White, that's me, buddy. We are the men that went to join David's army. We're the man, brother. Thank God that said if somebody don't protect us, we're going to go to hell. If somebody don't protect us, our sins are going to take us to an eternity without God. But we heard about it. That's right, brother. You helped me preach. I think he said amen or something. Amen. You think about it. But there was that day when all of a sudden it dawned on you that because of your lifestyle and because of your actions and because of your sins, that the devil was going to pull you down to a devil's hell. But some little preacher told you about a man named Jesus that's hated by the world, that's despised by the world. But that preacher said, if you'll run to that Christ, he'll take care of you. If you'll run to that Christ, he will keep that devil off of you. My God, thank God for the day that we went to our Christ and our Christ became our salvation. So what happens? What happens in emotional breakdown? Too many times we forget what that Christ has done for us and what that Savior has done for us. I have seen people that my God brought back from the deathbed that in a moment of emotion, they turned on the God that brought them back from the deathbed. 
I have seen people, I could tell you, I could call the name of a young man right now that prayers, prayers, and God and godly people kept him out of jail, out of prison. But now he's turned his back on that God. Kill David. Kill David. And you'll be right back where you were. I, I am so confident that I heard from God this afternoon that I'm not going to be bashful at all. And I'm going to tell somebody that because of what life has dealt to you, you're about ready to throw in the towel and give up on God. And you're in this house tonight. I want you, number one, to stop and think where you would be right now if God hadn't rescued you. In a moment of misguided emotion, they blamed their only Savior for their troubles. David, the only hope they have in life, and they're putting the blame of their present situation on David, the only hope that they have. You're listening to me tonight. We'll shout after a while, I hope. But you're listening to me tonight because the situation in your life right now, right now, you're blaming the only person with the power to save you. And you're angry with God. And you're upset with God. And you feel like God has done you wrong. Stood in the aisle of my church a couple of three or four or five, whatever years ago. A lady looked at me and said, you do know I'm mad with God. I'm mad with God. A beautiful family, beautiful children, beautiful grandchildren, all gifts of God. A wonderful husband, a home, all gifts of God. But just because life dealt her an unpleasant hand, she had a kill David moment. A kill David moment. The dangers of out of control. My God, I got to hurry on and get down to where we need to be to pray tonight, but I'm talking to somebody tonight. Listen, Ben. All of you are saying, kill David. But it's your only hope is for David to live and David to ascend to that throne, kill him, and you all die. Christ is your only hope. First of all, I want to ask you a question. How could it be David's fault when it was the children of Amalek that burned their town? David didn't burn their town. David didn't take away their wives and children. It was Israel's enemy, the Amalek, that did it. Let me tell you why this lady was mad with God. Because her father had passed away. God, let my father die. And I am mad with God. She was having a kill David moment. I looked at that lady with love and compassion. And I said, sis, you're wrong with the wrong man. You're mad with the wrong man. You're mad with the giver of life. 
The one you ought to be mad with is Satan. You ought to be mad with Adam, but you're mad with the giver of life. I'm talking to somebody that's having a kill David moment tonight, and you have said it and you've thought it. What's the use of me trying to live right? What's the use of me trying to serve God? Is this all I get? Is this all I get? My home's burned down. My children's gone. But now let me tell you, if an out-of-control emotion is dangerous, now I want to turn this thing over and, and talk to you for a few minutes of the good things that can happen to you if you'll get that under control. To where your eyes are not blinded, your ear is not stopped, and you can see plainly what's going on. Somehow or another, David called for the priest uh, by far. He called for the ephod. He got a hold of God. And somehow or another, in the midst of this situation, God changed their mind. David, God by the, David, by the help of God, was, in a, was able to persuade his men that he was not to blame. David, somehow or another, with the help of the priest and with the help of prayer and the help of God, was able to persuade those men that he was not to blame for the ash pile of their life. Ladies and gentlemen, God had sent me to this pulpit tonight to help somebody understand that you're not sitting on an ash pile because God doesn't love you. And you're not sitting there defeated because God doesn't love you. And if I can be successful as a biophile, the priest was, and persuade you that we're not going to kill David and we're not going to quit church and we're not going to give up on God that we will rise up in victory. My God, somebody give him praise. Somehow or other, somehow or other, David called for Abiathar or Abiathar or George or whatever his name was. And he was able to change their mind. Able to change their mind. That it was those stinking, demon-possessed Amalekites that did it. And not David. And they were able to get control of their emotions channel their anger in the proper direction. My God, I'm about to preach to somebody. I said, they were able to get control of their emotions, channel their anger in the right direction, and go after that bunch of demon-possessed Amalekites that had burned their town. Tonight, in this service, God is going to help somebody get control of your emotions, channel your anger in the right direction, and when he does, instead of being mad with God, you're going to find out it's the devil that's messed with you all the time. By the help of God, Abathar the priest, they were able to change their mind they got control of their emotions. They channeled their anger. Listen. And they decided to let David live. And they decided David was their only hope still. And they went after the Amalekites. You say, well, preacher, what good did that do them a lot? Because listen to this. In verse 18, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither son nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken from them, David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds 
which they drave before those other cattle and said, this is, and you go on and read, and David and these 400 men that in a moment of uncontrollable emotion said, we're going to kill David. Now listen, finally they got their mind straight. They got their anger channeled in the right direction and they followed David to battle and they went and whipped the socks off the Amalekites and everybody got their wives back. Everybody got their children's back. Everybody got their favorite bulldog back. Everybody got every animal back. The Bible said when they got through, there was nothing missing because they had recovered all. Let me tell you something. Life has stolen from you. Life has taken from you. Life has been hard on you. But hang in there with God and see what God's going to do and see if you don't recover it all. My God, ladies and gentlemen, they go from a kill David moment until every one of them is trying to be the first one to get their arm around David's neck and say, thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thank Thank you, David. You have saved us. You have delivered us. You have kept us. Somebody praise him. Hallelujah. Kill David. Kill David. Kill David. But now I've got my favorite bulldog. Now I've got my Jersey milk cow back. Now I've got mama back. Now I got my babies back. Now, come here, David. You're the greatest man in the world. Woo! Come here. That same God. I'm talking to somebody. That same God that you've been thinking about giving up on when he gets through with you, once you get that anger channeled in the right direction, get those emotions under control, you're going to be shouting in these altars. You're going to be praising God when you get your health back, when you get your marriage back, when you get your home back, when you get your family back. Yes, God is wanting to restore somebody's marriage. Right now, you're angry at Bubba, and your emotions have gotten away from you. If you can get those emotions under control, and realize it's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's the devil that's trying to destroy your marriage. And you'll reach out and say, David, you're the only hope of God, buddy. He'll restore that marriage. He'll restore that home. He'll bring that boy home. And they recovered all. And they recovered all. Somebody lift your hand up and say, I'm not mad with you, God. I'm mad with the stinking devil. And by your grace, I'm going to recover all. And they recovered all. They got it all back. They got it all back. You get that emotion under control. Emotions out of control to tear everything up. Get it back under control and let God restore everything to you. One more thought. I got one Sunday night. One Sunday night. Precious lady that had recently given her heart to God and hadn't been that long saved in their church. She came forward for prayer. And she said, Brother Kenny, I've got a boy. I didn't even know she had a boy. Ronnie is his name. She said, I don't know where Ronnie is. I haven't heard from Ronnie in a long time. 
But now that I've got right with God, I believe God can help me find Ronnie. And she asked the church to pray that she could find her boy. We gathered around that mother and prayed. And if I'm not mistaken, Joan might get up to remember. She got home from church that night or either it was the next night or two. But she was shouting happy. You got it. Because Ronnie called home. And they recovered all. He's still the potter that puts broken pieces back together. But you come in here in a kill David moment tonight. But now the God of heaven has touched your heart. And the Holy Ghost of God has touched your mind. And all of a sudden you realize that Jesus Christ and the church is really your best friend. And it was not David at all. It was that bunch of demonic Amalekites. Brother Andy, I'm going to venture to say, because I feel this in my heart, the Holy Ghost, I'm going to venture to say, that in a very short time, you're going to have testimonies in this church where somebody's going to say, I got it back. I recovered all. I got my mama. Come on, somebody. Would you give him praise? If I got to have just a few more minutes of your time to encourage you just a little bit further, I would take you to the 23rd chapter of our code. Somebody get your hands up and say, by faith in God, I'm going to get it back. I'm going to get my marriage back. I'm going to get my home back. I'm going to get my wife, my husband. I'm going to get my tuta, my kusha. Because I'm not angry with God anymore. Not only did they get everything back, the Bible said they recovered all. A-L-L. They recovered all. Stand up, buddy. Not only did they get everything back, you go to the 23rd chapter of the book of 2 Samuel and David's an old man and he's dying. And David begins to call out names. David began to list names. At 23rd, come on son, God's touching that boy. In the 23rd chapter of 2 Samuel, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. And you read that chapter when you get home tonight, and you're going to read the names of men that had a kill David moment. Men that had a moment of misguided emotion, they wanted to kill David. But their hearts were changed. Their minds were changed. Their emotions were channeled in the right direction. And David said those bunch of outlaws became mighty men and men of renown. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not only what God will help you recover. It's what God will make out of your life. It's what God will make out of your life. He said Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zuriah, was chief among three, and he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew them. Benina, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man, went down into a pit in a time of snow and killed a lion and on down the line see these men that were discontents, debtors that would have gone to prison that would have died but they found a savior in David they went on to become mighty men in the kingdom of God 
stand with me? Get us some music. There's a man by the name of Mel Trotter. You Google it when you get home tonight. Google Mel Trotter Ministries. Mel Trotter's been dead for many years, but his ministry continues. Mel Trotter was like those men that went to David. He was sorry. He was low down. He was good for nothing. Listen to me. Mel Trotter was a hopeless alcoholic. Mel Trotter's, Trotter's alcoholism got so bad till finally one day Mrs. Trotter said, Mel, you can't live here anymore with the children and with me. You'll have to go. And she put Mel Trotter out on the streets and he lived the life of a homeless drunk. Not allowed to see his wife. Not allowed to see his children. Are you listening to me? One day news reached Mel that his baby daughter had died. Probably from malnutrition. Because there wasn't a father there in that home to bring home the groceries. Mel Trotter got word that his baby daughter died. And he had somebody to go and ask his estranged wife if he might come by the house just to view the corpse of his baby before it was buried. Miss Trotter agreed. She sent back word to Mel that you can have five minutes. Five minutes. He came up to the home. Miss Trotter got the other children and left the room. Didn't want to be in the company of such a sorry, low-down man. And Mel Trotter had five minutes to view the body, corpse, of his baby girl. This is the story that I read. When Mel left, after his five minutes was up, Mrs. Trotter went back into the room where the corpse was. She noticed that the baby had no shoes. Mel Trotter had stolen the shoes off of his daughter's corpse to sell them for a few pennies to buy just a little more alcohol. That's the kind of man that went to David. That's the kind of man that found David that became great men. Mighty man. Mel Trotter finally decided that he wasn't fitting to live and walking through Chicago, going down to the shores of Lake Michigan where he was going to commit suicide by drowning. He passed by a little storefront and he heard music and he heard singing and he thought it was a bar. And he said, I'll go in for one more drink before I send my soul to hell. And he stepped in the door of a building that he thought was a bar. He found it to be some Christians having church, singing, and worshiping God. God got a hold of that old drunkard's heart. He went and nailed at that cruel altar and gave his heart to God. And Mel Trotter, are you listening to me? Became one of the greatest evangelists of his generation. A misfit, but he channeled his emotions, channeled his desires. Dear God, we got people here tonight that are having a kill David moment. But if they can just get that emotion under control, that anger, that hatred, that jealousy, that animosity, if they can just get a handle on it, God, and channel it in the right direction, you'll help them recover everything. And they will become mighty men and women for God. I want you to reach over and take the hand of that person beside you.
if it's godly. Or put your hand on the shoulder. We're all emotional. I want us all to pray one for another. God, help us all to channel our hatred and our anger and our jealousy and our malice. Instead of being angry with my little wife, I'm going to get mad with the devil because he's the one that caused it all. Instead of being upset with if you can get that emotion channeled in the right direction, if you can get as mad with God as you are your mama right now, you can recover everything. All I want to do is tell you there are two altars up here. And I want you to understand. Walk out that door with those emotions out of control and you'll lose everything. Kill David. And it's all gone. Kill David and it's all over. But you get those emotions channeled. Somebody walk down that aisle and say, God, I'm not going to lose it all. I'm going to recover it all by the grace of God. Come on. Move. Don't tarry. Don't tarry. Don't tarry. Don't tarry.